Baxter, a great big cheer again. I'm not sure, but I think that's probably about 6,000 pounds of family truckster. <laughs> Yesterday, he actually lost that left foot. The Mad K Studio Show. Welcome to episode seven, Station Wagons. Now we're talking about something that I am really excited about. I love Station Wagons. And I thought that with everything going on in the world, it would probably be good to maybe take a little walk down a nostalgic road into growing up in America in the Station Wagon. So hang on. There's a lot of pictures in this one. It's going to be a great podcast, but if you can watch it on YouTube, go check it out there. You'll see all the images I'm talking about. Hang on. We'll get started in just a sec. So, what you just witnessed was me driving my 1973 um, Galaxy. It was a Ford Galaxy station wagon I had bought because I wanted an old car again. I wanted an old station wagon. This was in 2008, 2009, right around then. I think 2009. And uh, I didn't pay very much for it. It was kind of a beater. It had a 400M. Um, so, anyone that knows what the 400 cubic inch motor is, is a pretty large motor. But the M was Ford's, it had to have been the worst motor it ever made, pretty close anyway. Just it, it made zero power. It was super, super slow. But at the same time, it got terrible gas mileage. But the car rode really nice, and I actually did like the car. But that was a video of me autocrossing it at the Carcraft Summer Nationals in 2009. Had a lot of fun. Just throwing hubcaps like a chase scene on a bullet. That was the slowmobile. I've had a lot of wagons in my life. I grew up in them, and I didn't like them when I was a teenager. But as I got older, I realized how, how wonderful of a car it was. My dad, in fact, told me when I was looking to buy my first car, he was helping me look for something. And he said, you should get a station wagon. It's the best all-around car you can own. And I was like, I don't want a station wagon, Dad. That's what everyone's mom drives. Oh, And he found me. It was one of my regrets. So, Dad, if you're watching this, I do regret this. He found me a brown, like, 1980 Malibu wagon with a V6 in it. And it was really, really cheap and in good shape. Brown with tan interior. It was an awful-looking car. But, boy, what I wouldn't give to have that car today. To be able to swap an LS motor into it and build it up and make it really cool. But, anyway, I ended up not getting that car and, and kept on looking. But I didn't want a station wagon. And you know, fast forward to today. Like, right today, I still don't own one. I've had... I've had six. Yeah, I've had six because I had my dad uh, gave me the old station wagon. Um, he drove him and my mom drove from Boston to Minneapolis with a bunch of my crap left over from the house in, in Boston and drove the old 1986 uh, Link, or Lincoln. It was a Mercury a Colony Park. No, work, this was the longest name in cards. It was a Mercury Grand Marquis. Colony Park LS Wagon. You had a tailgate that was like six feet wide, and it took every bit of that just to write all that out. Anyway, he was generous enough to give me the car, so he brought it all out and loaded it up with my stuff and said, here, just keep everything. So this was in 2001. Yeah, it was in 2001, because so it was right before 9-11. So the car was, you know, 14, 15 years old then. But I was at the dealership when he first bought it. In fact, I drove it home from the dealership the day he bought it in 1986 and thought it was like a hot rod because it had a 5.0 motor in it. It wasn't the HO motor, but just a 5.0. 
really cool car. Had the velour, blue velour interior. And um, even after all those years and a hundred some thousand miles, the interior still looked like brand new. I don't know what they made that fabric out of in those cars, but they were just absolutely bulletproof. You know, leather starts to age and crack and vinyl rips and tears, but that cloth from the 80s, it was made out of some kind of voodoo that just never wore or never wore out. It's incredible stuff. So since then, I've had, like this at the Mercury, I've had, right after the Mercury, I had a 62 Pontiac Safari wagon, purple with flames on it that I painted. You may have seen that one here. There'll be pictures. So if, again, if you're in the podcast, check out the web, the YouTube page. So yeah, it was a Buick Sport Wagon, a 60, I actually had a 65 Buick Sport Wagon that I put a 64 grill and stuff in front end on it so I could get into more car shows that has 64, 1964 cutoff. I really enjoyed that car. I think it was awesome. Bought it for, I think I bought that car for 600 bucks. Ended up selling it for like 1500 years later. That was a fun car. The Buick had the, it was a 300 cubic inch motor. It was called the Wildcat 310 that had a power glide transmission, but I think they called it like the Super Turbine 300. They had some goofy name for it, but that car would get up and go. It wasn't as heavy as you think it was, but I could still get four by eight sheets of plywood in the back of it. It was just incredible. Man, I've had multiple Fords, of course, the Boss 400. Now, the Boss 400 that you saw in the beginning of this video, there's never such thing called the Boss 400. I made that up, and I actually crafted a... A wonderful story about why the Boss 400 was the Boss 400, and I painted the black and the and the logos and stuff on there. And the story was, um, for people that aren't car guys, Mustangs in 1974, Ford released a brand new Mustang. It was based on the Pinto. It was a terrible car. The worst, darkest years for Mustang were 74 to 78. And they, um, my story was that they had these it was 74. You couldn't even get a V8 in a Mustang GT. I mean. Come on, that's crazy. I don't think they even had a GT. It was just a Mustang. They had a Gia and a bunch of other weird ones. It's the Charlie's Angels years. But my story was that they built a bunch of these wagons, these Boss 400 wagons, to drag the uh, Mustang prototype cars out to drag strips for promotional stunts and things like that to run them at the strip and see how much better they were than like a Vega or a Chevette or any of these goofy cars they had back then. Well, I suppose Chevette hadn't come out yet, but, you know, the Vegas and the AMC you know, hornets and pacers and stuff. So I had people at car shows swear that they remember these cars. I read about that. I, I remember, I remember it's a boss 400. And, I, and I, even after I told them, I'm like, I made it all up. I, I painted that. I said, look at this. You can see right here in the paint where this is all new paint. And I thought that, that was not real. No, are you sure? Because I, I remember those. I wrote and tracked an article in 1973. I, I have seen some at car shows. I'm like, no, but station wagons have, um, a place in my heart because of um, they're not around anymore. So as a car guy, you know, the wagons are gone. Before there was minivans, before there was um, SUVs, it was always Suburbans and Blazers and things like that. And we had a Blazer. It was pretty cool. I'll put pictures up of that, too. We'd go places and go to car shows with the kids. It was wildly painted like an Eddie Van Halen guitar, but with fast boat flake. A lot of fun. But back then, wagons could be used for families. I mean, you know, everyone's mom or dad had a station wagon that, that, that they dragged everyone around in, the kids. And you could go on picnics. You can go on everywhere because it would really haul a lot of stuff. They were large cars. And they made them in every size. But even the smaller ones, like the Chevy Novas and 
even some of like the Pinto wagons and the Vega wagons still had quite a bit of room inside of them for the size car it was. So they were really useful. Another thing that they did very, very well was the wagons were usually built on, the full-size ones anyway, were built on long wheelbases. So that's the distance between the centers of the wheels was really far apart. And they had huge engines in them, you know, 400 plus cubic inch engines making you know, 300, 400 horsepower sometimes. And that allowed them to tow extremely well. And a lot of them were built for towing. And you hear, you get the station wagon with the towing package. And uh, we, had, we had a few of those. That's that's the one you want to look for if you're looking for wagons at any time. You always want the towing package because it usually gives you a pause rear end and more power, bigger radiator, bigger, usually all the tra transmission cooler was bigger, bigger brakes, all that kind of good stuff. But the wagon allowed you to travel in comfort. Um, you've, you can travel comfortably in a Suburban or a Tahoe. We have a Tahoe now. It's a perfectly comfortable vehicle, but it's not as comfortable as an old station wagon. They just, they, you know, the Tahoe still, even though it rides like a, it's a nice riding truck, it's still a truck. And the, and the station wagons were still a car. Even if you're pulling a 28 foot trailer, it still had a smooth ride, you know, and a lot of people would put air shocks in the back if they had trailers and they could jack up that you just, you, there was little, like the, the little deals that you have on your tire to fill your, you know, to fill your, uh, put air in your tires. They had those same things on the shock absorbers and you'd run tubes out usually by the gas tank and you could put air in the shocks and it would raise it up. And it wasn't like air ride suspension. It was just literally putting air in the shocks and it would pump it up. It's pretty cool. So if you had a big trailer on there, you could you could level it that way. Over the years, I've drawn many cars. I've been, uh, as an artist, and this is a show at Mad Case Studios, you know, we talk about um, quite a bit of, of what we discuss here is art, the art of the automobile, the station wagon is... If it was in the podcast, I'm holding up a new die-cast little toy station wagon of a Vista Cruiser that I have in my hands. I'm just looking at it and marveling at its awesomeness, even in 164th scale. But I've, I've drawn a lot of these cars. I've had, uh, I'll throw a couple up. There's sketches. There's a sketch here of uh, uh, 65 Buick Sport Wagon, or six, no, 67. I think it's a 67 Buick Sport Wagon I got there. And also a Chevy 2 Nova wagon that I did some time ago. And and uh, a friend of mine that um, I used to work with, his name is Ray, Ray, Ray Johns. He had a hot rod shop, and he built this this handyman special 57 Chevy and brought it to Sturgis in 2015. It was pretty cool. He had that thing sitting there. Just an awesome-looking car. And these were all really cool-looking wagons. They were just neat. They were, they were great to look at. And... As I mentioned before, the Vista Cruiser is probably my favorite. They made them from 64 to 72, and Vista Cruisers had the roof. Over the back seat, there was a piece of glass that went over. It was a moonroof. They didn't open or close or anything. It was just a piece of glass that went over the top. And it, above the rear windows on the sides, it had another piece of glass. So you could just lay in the back. You'd fold the seat down, and you could lay in the back, and you could see everywhere. It was, it was a Vista. It was almost like being in the... the um, if you've ever gone on a train and go to one of those observation cars on the top, you can see everywhere. Well, that up there is what the Vista Cruiser was like. It, it was just a, you could see everywhere. See how there was like no blind spots. It was awesome. So driving along down the road one day, Tucker and I, my son, were just cruising back from probably an airsoft convention or something we were going to. But anyway, we had uh, come across this 
blue Vista Cruiser on the highway, and then later on we stopped to eat, and we came out, and it was sitting in the parking lot. So we went and checked it out, took some pictures. I looked inside. Now, these cars, a lot of them had 455s in them. Most of the Vista Cruisers were 350 cars, but the 455s were, um, that, that again, that's the trailer package. You get the 455, and it made a ton of power. It could pull a huge trailer. I think they were rated for 7,500-pound trailer or something like that. It could be a little bit wrong, but at least 7,000 AO. That being said, I look inside this car, you know, it's bench seats like normal, and it's got a sport wheel that someone did up, you know, they customized a little bit, but it was a four-speed car, and you could order it with a four-speed manual. So think about this 455, you know, that's a 7.5 liter or 7.4 liter, something like that, with a four-speed manual behind it, and had a, he had a trailer hitch on it, you could pull a trailer, so awesome. I mean, how cool is that? And, you know, with that four-speed, you could just go and bang through the gears and just be burning rubber the whole time. And how fun is that, being a big old station wagon? Who would expect that? If you've watched any of my shows before or listened to the podcast, uh, I mentioned about how I got into cars, how I did things, and uh, explained a little bit about our 1969 Chrysler Town & Country we had. Before that, I was born in 68, so I don't remember this other car. But before that, we had a 66 Ford Country Squire my dad bought new. And he bought a brand new trailer. That's the Shasta trailer he bought with it. And they matched. And it was a really, really cool looking thing. But in 69, you know, with a new baby and four other kids and mom, we were going to do some traveling. He needed something a little bit bigger, a little more power. So he went with this um, this 69 Chrysler Town Country with a 3D3 Super Commando, I think they called it. And the 3D3 Magnum was a different motor, but it was 330 horsepower and like 420, 430 torque, something like that. It was a lot of a lot of power back then. In a you know, 18 and a half, 19 foot station wagon with the seats in the way back and all that. So you know, we we pile in there and in 1969 we we drove completely across country. And you know, the nostalgic part of things, if you think about traveling cross country in the late 60s so the summer of 69 we went from boston to california down the coast i think down through arizona back up through the southeast a little bit and then back up to boston over the course of a whole summer and we did it with pulling the shasta trailer and my dad tells a story of the trailer springs in the back had leaf springs on it and the trailer springs would break and one broke in in uh Buffalo, New York, I think, or something like that. And he he got back there and rigged it with something in a two by four, and figured, well, we'll make it now. I don't. He, there was he had a whole story about how he did it, and then somewhere in the Midwest, I don't know if he was in the Dakotas or out way somewhere in the middle of nowhere, he found that he was uh, the the other one broke. Well, you can't have both of them broken, so he needed to get them fixed. So they're in the side of the road, pulled over. I mean, I'm a baby. He's got four other kids and and my mom. You know, and they were probably 37, 38 years old at the time, you know, stuck on the side of the road at a truck stop or something. And, or maybe it was an airport. But anyway, someone came out and said, hey, I, we, I can help you. And, uh, you know, I, we can't do it right now, but if first thing in the morning we, we could fly down, you know, a, it's like a, a one-hour flight in a helicopter down to this town. And there's a guy that fixes springs and he'll fix them up. Let me, let me make some phone calls. So they figured it out. So six o'clock in the morning, my dad goes over and gets takes the springs out of the the the, the trailer and brings them up. <clears throat> so six o'clock in the morning, my dad pulled had, had pulled the, tra- the the springs out of the trailer, I guess, and and gone over to where the helicopter was taken off. They were near an airport, and they my they flew 
my dad in the Springs down to this town an hour or two away by helicopter. And, you know, my mom was sitting there with the five kids on the side of the road in sweltering heat. And my dad gets down to where he's going. And the guy's like, oh, I could have these fixed up in a few hours. Let me, and the mayor of the town met him and said, let me show you around. And so this guy and the mayor, or my dad and the mayor are driving around town, you know, eating lunch and just hooping it all up. My mom's sitting up there in the truck stop or parking lot somewhere, sweating her butt off with all these kids that are all cranky. I mean, two of them were teenagers, two were middle school and a baby. I mean, that doesn't sound like fun. But, you know, my dad had come back and, and, and the springs are fixed and we put them in the trailer and, and all we went about our, our, our trip, you know, that's all being done in a station wagon. So I, I'm picturing back then being in and out of the car and getting this and I want a snack and let's go lay down in there. It's hot. Well, it's in the shade in there, but it's hot in the car. Yeah, you think about all the, the different things that happen on a, on a road trip like that and, and to do it all in a station wagon is just, it's the greatest thing ever. So. I've had a lot of wagons. We haven't taken a bunch of road trips with them, but in the future, we will. I'll have more wagons in the future. Uh, I just, I'm without one right now. It just doesn't seem right to me. So uh, the, the trip in 69 must have been um, a little harrowing for everybody because in 1970, that summer, we didn't go anywhere with the truck and trailer other than, or the, the car and the trailer, other than maybe some short weekend trips or stuff like that that I remember. But... In 1971 and 72, we drove from Boston to Fairbanks, Alaska, and 1,400 miles of that was the Alcan Highway, which was gravel. Uh, one of the years, we took a ferry, so we'd, we'd pull into, I can't even remember where, but somewhere like in Washington or something, and we'd get on the ferry, and, and that would take us up to Juneau or, or whatnot, so we didn't have to go as much on the, on the roads. But I remember the ferry, riding in the ferry and going up, that was really cool. I mean, it was a long time, so we had days, day or two on the ferry. So we drive that wagon all the way up there, pulling everything. I mean, you know, it would take two weeks to do that drive to go to Fairbanks, Alaska from Boston. One way was it was a two-week drive. I mean, everything you see along the way and the, and the sights of the United States and going through Canada and being in the ocean and, and going up that way. And then you get up to Alaska and it's a whole other world up there. My, my dad worked up there in Fairbanks in the summertime. So the rest of us were just out playing and doing our thing. And it was all because we had a station wagon. You couldn't have done it in really any other vehicle back then. The the Suburban was okay to do that, I suppose. But it was, you know, a 69 Suburban or 70 Suburban wasn't very comfortable of a, of a long-riding vehicle. In the 80s, they got to be better. But still not as good as a station wagon for a long haul like that. So after all that, that poor wagon served everyone well. Everyone went through high school, other than me, and all the other Brothers and sisters had that car in high school to drive back and forth or do what they needed to do. And by, I think it was 1977, 78, that thing was pretty well worn out. It was rusty from all the salt on the roads in Boston. It had been driven 100-something thousand miles pretty hard, you know, pulling a trailer a lot of the time. And, you know, the different winters, the different temperatures in Boston, you know, it takes a toll on a car. And I think he sold it for 125 bucks which was more or less than he paid for his John Boy or John Boy, the Lawn Boy, Lawnmower. I think he paid $140 for the Lawn Boy more and he sold the car for 125 I was heartbroken. I, I just, I missed that car so bad. I remember just bawling like a little girl when he sold it. I was so upset. Um, I guess the guy that bought it didn't even make it home. The car broke down and ended up going to a junkyard that day. The, my dad gave him his money back and it was, but that was used up and that's what you do. You use these things up. So I kind of talked about wagons, why I like them. There's a bunch of pictures of them if you've seen. 
you know, if you're watching the podcast again, just check out my YouTube channel. You'll see them. Uh, they had a superpower. Wagons had a superpower of just being able to do everything. And so what happened to them? If they were such a great car and they were the perfect vehicle for a family, what exactly happened to them? Well, it was a combination of things. They lost their superpowers. The, the, the big three companies and actually all the companies at the time in the 70s started in 72 it really started but it really didn't get bad till the late 70s they just detuned everything there was government restrictions on more emissions controls and things like that and the technology wasn't there like it is now for the fuel injection to be really efficient so that didn't work so all they did was slap catalytic converters and air pumps on them which yes cleaned up their exhaust a bit but it didn't help their, it actually hurt their efficiency. They, they, the cars in the 70s got much worse gas mileage than the cars in the 60s that made you know twice the horsepower, basically because they were so choked up. Um, they'd run forever because of it, but uh, it was it was kind of a sad thing to watch it happen, the decline of the power, just slowly, slowly, slowly. So down to, you get to, like my dad, we sold the, we sold the station wagon, the, the town and country wagon, and he bought a Torino, Ford Torino wagon, and he didn't have that one very long. I think he didn't even have that car in a year because we traded that for a um, Plymouth Horizon in 1978, you know, two, a two-tone Plymouth Horizon he bought brand new off the showroom floor. I thought we were rich because we were buying a car off the floor, the showroom floor. It's 10 years old, what do I know? But the, the wagons had had really lost their way at that point. They were still, they had downsized them, so they weren't quite as big as they were. And um, in 1981, we got a an 81 Buick LeSabre wagon. It was jade green with a jade velour interior. Again, this velour, it, you can go to junkyards today, and it, it's like brand new, this stuff. I don't know what they made it out of. We, we've lost something with the, with the advent of all leather seats and crappy cloth. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, it was it was a jade car had the wood panel siding siding of it on you know the wood grain vinyl stickers that they put on the side of all those cars, and it was a great car, but it had a three hundred seven in it, which was an Olds motor, which of all the GM motors at the time, the Olds V eight was probably still the best. But I think it made one hundred thirty horsepower, one hundred thirty five horsepower, and it was still in it was in a two ton car, and it was so underpowered. I mean, just completely underpowered. You could pull a trailer with it, but if you had to go up a hill, you'd have it to the floor. And I remember the catalytic converter, after the car was a year or two old, the catalytic converter was plugging up and, and it would heat up and you wouldn't have any power, probably barely enough to go 40 miles an hour. And that was a problem with all that stuff. So at the same time, Chrysler, which was in trouble, came out with the minivan. And as I mentioned before in the episode, you know, the Blazers and the Suburbans and those kind of things started getting a bit nicer, a little more upscale, a little more comfortable. And so the combination of you couldn't pull a big trailer, a big boat or anything with a, you know, a car with 130 horsepower, um, they were starting to use the trucks. So the trucks were getting nicer. At the same time, the family wanted some better mileage and the spaciousness in a minivan was, was pretty good. I mean, you could get just as much stuff in a minivan as good in a wagon, seats come out and all that, and they were hand. So wagons were also usually not the cheapest ones. They were also, uh, I mean, the 50s, a lot of times the wagons, even the 60s, the 50s and 60s, the convertible and the wagon were the two most expensive cars you could buy in a line. It was really a whole different time. But by 
the 80s, you could get a minivan really, really inexpensive, and they were dependable, good, and lots of space, and you could do what you want. So if you didn't have to tow anything, it, they worked really, really well. So the wagon started to really lose its way, and Ford stopped making them in 1991, I think was the last Ford LTD wagon, or, or, or Grand Marquis wagon, I think that was the last year of those. Um, Chevy and GM... Let's see, Oldsmobile made the last one in 92. They had a custom cruiser wagon. We'll talk about those in a minute because those and the, she the Chevy um, Caprices and the Buick Roadmaster wagons. So there was a lot of smaller wagons, you know, Ford Escorts and and um, the Cavaliers. And what, what was Chrysler? Yeah, the Reliant. Oh, how can I forget the Reliant K car? The K car, the car that saved Chrysler. They still made station wagons, and they had uh, GM had the midsize wagons, the Pontiac 6000s, and the Chevy Celebrities, and those were actually not bad wagons for the, again for the size of the car. There was a lot of space in them. They still had that seat way in the back, the way back. But they just it they lost they lost something because for the same price you could go get a minivan that was just a lot more efficient, um, better, easier to get in and out of, and comfortable on a trip, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how the minivan crushed the wagon and killed it. So, of course, I hate minivans for that very reason, because they're the devil's vehicle. The swan song, I guess at the end, they, they ended well, because Ford ended with theirs, and they had a 5-liter motor in it, like I talked about in the in our 86 that we had. That was peppy. I think it was 155 horsepower, but it still wasn't fun or quick. It was just a, it would finally get out of its own way. You could pass a truck. You still couldn't tow much. So... When GM redesigned them, the, all the wagons in 1990 for the 91-92 model year, they had the Roadmaster, the Caprice, and the Oldsmobile Custom Cruiser, and they were kind of that bubble, you know, whale-shaped that either loved it or hated them. I thought they were pretty neat even back then. I did some drawings of, like, custom versions of them even back then were, were popular. The thing that they did do is they brought back what the wagon should have been, you could get a 350 cubic inch motor in them finally because you couldn't since I think 79 was the last year. So all through the 80s, you could only get a 305 or a 302 or a 307 that were anemic, all of them. Now you could get a 350, which was the same 350 throttle body injected motor that they put in the trucks, you know, the uh, half ton pickups. And it made uh, a bunch of torque so you could actually tow something with it. It would, because they're pretty snappy, they'd go pretty good. But 94 is where the, everything really changed for the better. And they only made them for three years, 94, 95, and 96, where they put the LT1 V8 in it. That was a multi-port injected 260-horse, um, 335-torque uh, V8 that was a similar motor than they put in the Camaros and the, and the Corvettes. People call them Corvette motors. So if you go into Craigslist and you're looking for one of these Roadmasters or Caprices and it says a Corvette motor, it's not a Corvette motor. For crying out loud, people, it's not a Corvette motor. Those are all aluminum and a whole different deal. I digress. It's just a pet peeve of mine. Anyway, the LT1 changed everything. It made it, um, you know, if you could drive it right, you could nudge that car into being a 14-second quarter-mile car without having to do too much to it. That's that's late 60s muscle car speed and feel, and I've had a bunch of them. So I've had two Roadmaster wagons. I've had four Roadmaster sedans. I've had one uh, Cadillac Fleetwood Brome, which is basically an extended one. 
But the Roadmaster wagons, I had the two I had. I found one for my wife. She wanted one with cloth seats. Again, the cloth, but it never goes bad. And no wood grain. And I found one. It was pretty hard to find. I found a blue one. You'll see pictures here as we, as we talk about it. But it's just a really, really great car. And as the kids were little, we were using that um, to drive around. We'd go places. We'd go to car shows. I used to run that in the autocross, too. Because anything big and stupid, I run in the autocross. My Lincoln Town car, I run that in the autocross, too. It's just part of part of being me, I guess, part of the Mad K Studio mystique. But these these cars have gained back their superpowers. And the, the cash for clunkers deal that came out under the um, Obama administration a few years back, unfortunately took a lot of these cars out because the government was basically giving you $4,000 for a car that at the time was probably worth two. So why wouldn't somebody just go drop it off and... and it got rid of a lot of them, which is terrible because they didn't make too many. They're getting rarer, and uh, finding them that are rust-free is really difficult. But if you do find them, they're 300,000-mile cars. They run forever if you can just keep them from rotting away. That's the biggest problem they had. I, I'll have more of them. I, I really like them. They're fun. They're fast. They really surprise people. No one expects it. Um, you can see eight people pretty comfortably in there. We would use it to go to lunch at work, and all eight of us would jump in the car. You know, we'd fold the back seat up and in the tailgate. Uh, you know, it's a tailgate that they're cool. They fold down flat or they open up, you know, like a regular door. And it's a, you know, it had, and it had a, another window that popped up that way. So it was still a three-way tailgate. Really cool. They're just, uh, they don't make anything like that now. There's some companies that still make station wagons, but they're, they just don't have the charm that the old ones did. And that's really unfortunate. I really wish that we could have more station wagons. You know, this may not seem as much of an art show this time, but it really is because this is this is just this goes into the, my inspiration, where I get the ideas that I get, where I get you know, the look, the feel that I've got. You know, today I wore my shirt that you can't see it here too well, but it's got station wagons on it, woody wagons, and I even go into the woody wagons of the 50s and 40s and 30s or the history of it, but station wagons are, I think, the essential, quintessential American car. Uh, the, the amount of design and ingenuity that went into these things was just incredible, and they were used for many, many years, really up until the time that the, the government told the automakers that they had to change what they were doing and it really just took the teeth out of what a wagon was able to do so the trucks took over in 1996 they stopped production of the station wagons in the full-size rear-wheel drive cars for gm to retool the factory to make tahoes and suburbans and i have a tahoe and i feel like i feel like i'm doing something wrong sometimes when i drive it it's an awesome truck i really like it but I would so much rather they kept making station wagons. So before I leave you, I've got one little more story to tell. And um, of course, if you're watching this, you know about me, I'm an artist. And I do portraits of cars like you see behind me. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on the podcast, check out the YouTube page to see what I'm talking about. Um, I'm doing a drawing right now of a mid-60s Falcon station wagon, which is kind of what spurred on this whole show of just nostalgic thinking about wagons and usually um someone else you know they send me a check whatever you know pay for it and this gentleman joel friend of mine that i actually worked with many years ago um he sent me 
in the letter. He said, he says, I want to tell you something about the car. So I'm actually going to read the letter to you because this is just a, a great little story about how you get a car, an old car, in a station wagon and what it means. So here it is. It says, from Joel, I think I should tell you a little about the wagon. In 1999, three buddies and I hooked up a trailer and headed west looking for anything not rusted. We stopped and knocked on a lot of doors, eventually ended up in Billings, Montana. And he's from Wisconsin. Um, took a turn the wrong way down a one-way street. In our, in our haste to turn around, we spotted the station wagon. White and black outside with a gold tan interior sitting by the repair shop. Or sitting by a, a repair shop. Did it once over and walked inside. Asked the mildly irritated mechanic slash owner if it was for sale. Yep. Got the okay to look closer. <laughs> Bent to crap, but no rust. Went back, uh, so I went back in and told him I wanted to give him $2,000 and take it back to Wisconsin and uh, watch it rust. <laughs> he dropped his wrench and called me an SOB. I backed up a bit. And then he said, if I had a nickel for every time I got offered $800 for that car, I'd be rich. And now you come along and make an offer I actually have to think about. Needless to say, I made the purchase and a new friend. That's important. You make new friends doing these things. I'm still friends with people who have bought cars off, and that's why I'm friends with them. It's awesome. That's me. So anyway, let say I made a new friend. Changed the fluids at, at that shop and drove it home. That car, my daughter's called the hearse, started a 10-year run of just the daughter and I going to Iola, which is a huge, Iola is a huge um, swap meet in Wisconsin. It's giant. Uh, they camped the whole weekend. Mom wasn't allowed. Great memories. I've been out to Devil's Tower in Wyoming with it three times. My brother and his wife put it on a car show at Devil's Tower for their car club, uh, the Texas Trail Cruisers. Just thought you should know. So as you can see, these are more than just cars. They're, 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 they're a piece of people's lives, and the station wagon itself is handy. So it just as handy as it was back then, you know, I've got a 71 or 72 Cutlass that I'm doing right now. It's still not as handy as a 72 Vista Cruiser would be. And so if I could find a Vista Cruiser, I'd probably get one again. A friend of mine has one. Maybe I'll have to pry it off his hand. Anyway. If you've enjoyed this, do me a favor. Please share the show, like the show, subscribe below so you know when the next one's coming up. There's a bell you can hit, and you know the drill if you're on YouTube how to do it. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, subscribe to the podcast here on Podbean. You can hear us on, you know, Apple, you know, so iTunes. We're going to be on Pandora pretty soon. So, uh, I do believe we're on Stitcher. We're in um, uh, anywhere you can basically anywhere you can find a podcast. Spotify, we're there. So. Check it out, Mad K Studio Podcast. I'm Ken Madden. I'm really glad you're here. I hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to talking to you soon.